This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and welcome to That's Bangin'. A new podcast celebrating everything great from farm to plate, from ship to service, and field to fork. A celebration of everything tasty, fresh, and excellent that's coming off our little beautiful island at the moment. In association with tasty, fresh, and excellent beer, Hop House 13. Always drink responsibly. That's Bangin' with Chris and Mark Jess. Marcus. Marcus, welcome. How are you today? Oh, Chris, I am good, man. I'm good. Despite the rain, despite the grey skies, I'm still feeling banging at the, at the end of things, you know? And how is your January going for you? How was Christmas? How are you getting on? It's been a minute, dude. I've missed you. I've missed you. I've missed your voice. I've missed your presence. Um, my January's been interesting. Um, Christmas was good. Then yeah, yeah. I um, got the ultimate topical Christmas present, which was COVID. <laughs> I um, have a feeling I know what that was. Yeah, so um, I, I, I had COVID for and kind of isolated and did all that and at the other side of it now, which is great. Um, yeah, yeah, so you're very lucky in any way you didn't. You, you weren't, you weren't too, too taken away by it. By it. No, I, uh, I, like, I had a bad enough dose. But I'll tell you the weirdest thing, losing your sense of taste, losing your sense of smell. Like as somebody who lives, eats and breathes food and drink like that was weird yeah, I hear you. yeah it was really weird but hey we're back now the taste buds are sharper than they've ever been that's showbiz baby we're back in business <laughs> that it really how, is it really is how how was your christmas mine was good as well i have to say um mine was good as well i have to say can't really complain like you know different than every other christmas we've ever had but uh you know i, I didn't get the same presents you did um so that was December, but now it's January. And this week, our guest is a man with quite the CV. I'm going to spin off a lot of this, so here we go. Leinster football under-21 winner with Westmead, former Leinster rugby star, award-winning author, frontman of the Blizzards, as well as a successful solo artist, judge on The Voice of Ireland, and now podcasting superstar, really changing the way people look at mindfulness and meditation. I'm delighted to welcome Brezzy, Mr. Niall Breslin. How's it going? Good. How are you getting on? I'm not too bad at all. It's a joy to have you in the I'm delighted to be here. I, my uh, mum says my CV should just read I throw as much shit at the wall and see what sticks, which I think is a pretty accurate description of <laughs> where I've gone in my career. Definitely. I mean, uh, so come here. Like, you've done a lot of stuff. Um, you've, I, I've, As you said, you've done a mental amount of stuff. Like, I remember seeing you in the blizzards years ago when I was in college. Um, and it's, it's crazy to see where you've come now. But, like, to kind of start all this off, how are you doing? Uh, what What's going on? How's your year been? How's January treating you? It's, uh, it, you know, I think to be perfectly honest, it's been a fucking horrible year <laughs> and we need to stop saying otherwise, you know, and I, it's okay that it's horrible and it's okay that it's tough. Um, and, you know, there's been there's been no glimpses of this. I, I, I've been at home with my parents now for nearly 42 weeks. So I started cocooning them. They're both in their kind of 70s. And I was the only one in my family who could work remotely. <clears throat> so I came home and it's been amazing to come home, obviously. But, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years of age. I didn't foresee myself living with my parents at 40 years of age. I found this year tough at times. I found, uh, what I found toughest about it is not just my industry has been absolutely decimated that I love so much. Uh, my mates have lost their jobs, their businesses are gone because the events industry has just been so horrifically hit. I think the hardest part has been that it hasn't felt like there's been a release. You know, you know, it's 
like the nearest I can get is jumping into the lake or going to my back garden and screaming. And it's just that release that every human needs. And what else human needs? We need interaction. We're hardwired for it. So that's been really difficult. And I think we need to let it be difficult and appreciate that it's difficult because we're fucking humans. Absolutely. No, it's, it's something obviously kind of coming from the events and bar industry myself and restaurant industry. It's unprecedented this year how much it's kind of it's just gone from being full tilt to a hard stop. And the adjustment period of that has been has been wild. You know, it's, it's really it's something that I think a lot of people are only kind of taking into account now. I think the other thing about it is what the the general consensus from people I would speak of who aren't in the entertainment or music or events industry, they purely put this down to it being really difficult financially. But actually, it's much more than that. It's it's a really it's a huge lens uh, loss of purpose. It is a very unique climate as an industry uh, where people are quite close and they 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 need each other. They, you know, not in a being a cliche way, but they're incredibly connected to each other. And that has been as difficult as the fact that a lot of them have lost their livelihoods. And, you know, whether they're freelance or they're SMEs, the reality here is, you know, we might get the vaccine and we might all be able to go back to events and festivals. My fear is who's going to be there? Who's going to be running that? Because I'd like to see Electric Picnic run without these crews because it'll be in fucking fire within two hours. The whole the whole of Leash would be up in flames if we had crap crew running it. These these people essentially build small cities in a feckin' field like. You know, it's highly skilled. And that's the difference is some of the narrative that went around from some people who are quite ignorant to what the arts and the events industry is was pretty de- deflating, but the, the, the irony of that, most people who had that argument were people that wouldn't have survived this lockdown without music, without Netflix, without uh, any form of the arts. And I think hopefully what it's done is expose people to the importance of the arts and actually get a country and a system and a government to actually meaningfully engage and fund the arts and not in the kind of, you know, when we're spending more money on the fucking greyhound industry than we are the arts industry. You know, there's something wild. fundamentally wrong. Wild. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, um, you were saying that a lot of people have been getting through lockdown with music, with every, with everything that the arts contribute—be that TV shows, be that music, be that diving into a series or a book, or you know, listening to podcasts or theatre. Um, we're kind of going to talk a little bit about food, which is another thing that people have been leaning on really heavily. And I think people's habits have changed. People are cooking more. People are getting more involved in the kitchen. Would you consider yourself a a bit of a foodie? Are you into your food? Yeah, I'm I'm a massive fan of food. I think what happened with me is when I went to college, I was just going into professional sport at the time. And m- my mom kind of said to me, you're not going to be able to survive on on ready meals like you're eating five, six thousand calories a day. Like you need to, to learn to cook and you need to find out how to cook and what you like. And that was the starting point of my kind of relationship with cooking. And like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wasn't like particularly skilled at it, but I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the process of it. I very much enjoyed the process of demolishing it. And it it was it became quite an important thing throughout my career and a quite a healthy relationship with food. I've always, no matter what job I've had, like as a athlete, I've always felt food's there to be enjoyed and I've never been that strict with my food. I enjoy it. I enjoy making it. I enjoy eating it. And I think it's a very mindful experience. And I think food and good good food is an absolute joy 
Yeah. And would your eating habits change drastically over the years from when you were an athlete to a tour musician to where you are now in your life? Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the, the unhealthiest industry in the world is a tour musician. Like you basically survive on um, brown food. You know that brown food you get in petrol stations or like yeah. a chicken filler? It's all the same color. Now, I'm not Gillian McKeith, but that shit's not good for you. And when you're gigging and you're doing a toilet tour of the UK and you have really, really tight budgets to do the tour and you're on shitty PDA, uh, you know, per day kind of wage of maybe 20 quid, you have no choice because you're trying to get from one venue to the next and you're not staying in hotels. So you're, you're finding yourself eating these, this horrible, horrible food. And very quickly, that used to have massive detrimental impact on my mood. If I was eating this, not just because I was eating crap, because it's full of chemicals. It's full of absolute shit that should not be in your body. The, like stuff that, yeah, the, the amount of stuff that goes into, you know, a chicken, a chicken fillet, for example, from a deli. It's not yeah. good. Why it's do you not, think it tastes so good? Like, but, like yeah. I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. It definitely tastes good, but it's, you know, it, it, it that that that's when I had, a, I, I really, I remember, I'll never forget. So forty years ago, we were, I was getting really wary about my food when I was gigging because I was because I was drinking a lot as well, and I'm not a big drinker, uh, but. We were doing what was called the faction tour at the time. And this is just when the Irish industry was starting to kick off properly again, like Republic Loose and we had bands like the Marshall Stars, Director, ourselves. And they decided to put this faction tour on uh, the immediate. And we just, we had a bus and we were going to like 12 venues around Ireland. And we were meeting on the Thursday morning to start the tour and like Republic Loose were on the bus and you know, Mick Pyro, the absolute party animal. And I arrived onto the bus with a massive uh, massive big box of fruit and I was like does anyone want fruit and Mick goes get the fuck <laughs> off this bus um, and he, I think he actually did take an, an orange and then he threw it at me and told me you know but like I, I was I just had those habits from playing sport where I didn't see food as something I should restrict myself with but I did like to eat certain foods that I was quite aware made me feel good and as I actually I started as I got older into kind of endurance sports uh, triathlon and you started to realize the f- food is not just there to be enjoyed. It's also an essential fuel. It's and also there to be turfed at your head by Mick Pyro on a bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like what a waste of an orange. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I do think I, I've learned I've learned a lot about food in my different careers and jobs. And uh, even in the space around, you know, emotional well-being, huge research around the gut and the brain and the connection between the two. And we, we have to be careful about overselling that because often, you know, you know, there's so many different complex layers to how you start to take care of your emotional well-being and how you eat and what you put in your body is one of those. And we have to take that quite seriously. So what are you eating now? What's going on the dinner table in the Breslin household in the evenings these days? What's your go-to cooking meals? Well, m- mine at the moment is I'm training for a marathon at the moment. So I'm, what happened was I, I mean, like everyone, I, I need to exercise and the gyms kept opening and closing and I was getting pissed off at that. And I said, what, what can I do? What can't they close right now? And I was like, they can't close the road so I can go for a run. I'm not a great runner now. And I live in a beautiful part of Westmead, uh, uh, the lake, all the lakes of Mullingar, all within 5k of my house. So I decided to go out running and I, you signed up for a marathon and with that, yeah, I'm like a I'm like a horse eating. I cannot stop, and I I, I I don't even think about how much food I'm putting into me. But generally, the type of meals I'm cooking right now are obviously carb heavy, and but there's certain types of things I start like cooking now. Is things like cauliflower rice, which I like a lot when you you don't want to eat too much car too much carbs. But 
we have an amazing butcher down here, Seamus Bracken. And, you know, what I love about when you go into him, he gives you the origins, where I came from, who we worked with. And then your food becomes quite a mindful experience. So for me, my mum, I work quite, I'm quite I'm working quite hard at the moment. As you know, with podcasting, it's tough work. And I have 15 pieces of content a week that go out. So I am working essentially, you know, full days. So mum kind of has been brilliant. And she comes up, with the, you know, she knocks on the door and makes the food and lets me know what it is. Um, and if, I've, if I'm free some of the days, I'll do the cooking. But yeah, it's been... It's been nice, you know. It's yeah, nice to be home and nice to have that that, that interaction with the family. Yeah, structure, f- structure, and food. I think is important. I think one of the issues with, with sometimes with food is that is when you're busy, the structure goes out the window, and you find yourself eating one massive meal at two o'clock, and then that's it. And that's not the right way to eat, you know. And that's not how we were designed. I don't like the intermittent fasting thing is obviously a huge thing at the moment, and. I do feel in my own body, I tried intermittent fasting. It was an absolute disaster for me because I was falling asleep standing up. I really, need to yeah. eat. I'm six foot six. I would have looked at it as well, but like, you know, it's, 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 it's when you hear other people, how they've done about it, I suppose that's where you kind of find out whether it's for you or not. Hmm. We have to be careful. It's the same with keto, keto diets and all these t- things. My mate's starting keto and he's like, what do you think? It's, well, the first thing I'm going to say to you is have you actually spoken to your doctor because I know you have heart problems um, and we we need to trust healthcare professionals and dietitians if we're going to make these massive commitments to certain types of food. We really, we really need to stop checking on Google for that stuff because, you know, Google doesn't know the nuance of your, your situation. Like I have high cholesterol. I'm really fit. My dad has heart disease since he was, you know, you know, his dad died of a heart attack. My grandfather died of a heart attack. Heart disease is immensely prevalent in my house or my family. So I have to, I have to keep an eye on that too. And so I could go on keto tomorrow. Uh, and I, you know, people say it doesn't look, but my cholesterol went through the roof when I went on keto. So it's subjective. And you need to, to work with your professionals. And that's why food is, food is, is really quite, it's not complicated, but there's reason people train for five, six years to study this stuff because they know what they're doing. So do you see food mainly as fuel then? Or do you have like, especially living back with your parents, do you have like that kind of nostalgic meal? Like I think a lot of people have le- lent back into comfort food and, yeah. you know, like childhood food. Like even the other, I had my first fish finger for I'd say 15, 20 years, like Jesus just the Christ. other day. And I have to say it was a wonderful experience. Um, well living back at home is there is there something that you know maybe one of your parents cooks that brings you right back to like early childhood memories my mom will kill me now right like we've she had five my mom and dad five of us in the family five children and we were all absolute wildebeests um and we had to fight for food all the time and my parents wouldn't have been you know my dad was an army officer my mom was a working mother uh, or a stay-at-home mother. So having five children, we we, ne- I'm, we never we were never f- flush with cash um, as a family. So that actually did cause how what you food is you know there's an, an element of some foods quite expensive. So I do remember when I was growing up that one of the staple diets in my house were canned meatballs and canned ravioli, and my mates used to call me ra- uh, the ravioli guy. Because I, I used to just eat it all the time. It was also gorgeous, but it's probably not great for you. And that was, was that ravioli in a can. 
It's amazing. Yeah, it's ravioli in a can and it's just full of sugar. And and then the other thing was potato waffles. Oh. And that, that was kind of my state, you know, and that was just purely because my mum had to cook for five people every day. And, and then my dad would come in and it was... She she was she was she's actually a really good cook though that that was the thing she literally just didn't have time, and at the time there wasn't a huge amount of information on things like processed food and how pretty much shit it is for you, and but my mum would cook, and like my, the whole thing that she used to cook that you know we used to always kind of love was uh, chorizo chicken, so it was chorizo uh, it's, it was a kind of a mascarpone cheese oh yeah. Uh, with chorizo and it was just I think chorizo can be put it's literally the, it is the most incredible food in the world I just it it taints everything in the most perfect way oh man uh, do you know what like so I'm a sandwich fan and you stick chorizo in any sandwich on the menu and people no matter where you are go mental for it it is genuinely it's one of those like kind of catch-all ingredients that just mm. As you said, tainting everything in a perfect way was a gorgeous way of putting it. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine it's amazing for you, but it's who cares when something tastes that good? You really care. Um, and that's the thing when I talk about food, like I'm not sitting eating tubes of chorizo every day. And if if Saturday evening comes and I'm watching the rugby and I want to make something nice and stodgy, I'll go like I'll make a big chorizo curry or a chorizo, you know, uh, chorizo pasta dish. But like for me, my, my go-to for cooking generally is all different forms of curry. Curry is from day one has been the thing that has saved me. I could, I, I just demolish them. I love cooking them. I love learning about them. Every form of curry from your Thai curries, your Indian curries, your Chinese curries, you just can't go wrong with them. And what well, you can, if <laughs> I got really bad food poisoning, when I was, I think it was, as I was actually before a Westmead match and we were playing a away match. Oh no! And I went. I was. I just fecked off for a Chinese, and oh, like, like was, violent. Are we talking? It was violent. Like it was. It was visual. It was very visual on the pitch. If that made sense. Oh wow! Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, it was, but like I still got up and I played. I I, I played the game, but you know I, what? maybe you shouldn't have. Maybe maybe maybe, I shouldn't have. <laughs> maybe that's one of those times you can chill on the chill on the bench. Well, you know, I didn't have a choice. I was picked. And the only thing I will say about it is, is I, I certainly had stronger glutes by the end of the game because I had to squeeze the fucking things for fucking 80 minutes so nothing came out. <laughs> well, um, I've seen the curry chronicles on your Instagram then. So what, when you're go, what's your go-to curry then when, uh, when, you're, when you're making it? What, what are you going for? Are you going for chicken? You said you talked about chorizo a minute ago. What's, your, what's the staple of your curry? Well, you see, I think curry is a real good opportunity to eat vegetarian. I think it's just because it just tastes so incredible. And you can put chickpeas, you can put sweet potato, you can put, you know, lentils, whatever you want in there. It's a, it's a really good opportunity just to leave the meat behind, you know. And I'm, you know, I like meat. I, I cut down on my meat massively in the last couple of years uh, for a few reasons. I mean, yeah, I like, I actually tried vegan for two months and I got more stress trying to find vegan foods than I believe vegan was probably going to help my health so uh, I struggled with it but I, I I like the idea of kind of making small changes mm. rather than cutting out massive parts of my, my diet and one of the small changes I, I made was I really cut down on the amount of meat I eat I don't eat fish which is tough I try to uh, I as, as in I you just, just you're not into it or I, I, I really don't like it and I, I, I did this thing a couple of years ago where Kevin Dunnan said, oh, I'll get you into fish. I was like, okay, cool. Like, 
I mean, but I, I'm not going to have Kevin done then because he, he basically cooked for me for five days. I was like, what happens when you piss off here? Because like, you know, you're, you're making this taste relatively good. But you know what? The one that I struggled with. He, so he did five different types of fish and the, the, the bet was I would eat the fish. That's how much I hated fish. But I found prawns devastatingly horrible. I, 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 I. Of Every of cell fish. of my body. Yeah, I, I, you know, the one I found easiest was sea bass. Sea bass, nice entry level fish. You're talking yeah. white, flaky, not too much going on. Nice, no, crispy and skin. slightly meaty in terms of taste, and mm-hmm. I don't mind tuna steak. Isn't too bad, but I, I had, I had the the prawns, and it was that you know that moment where you're just going to literally the puke is right at the top of your tongue, and I didn't wow. want to vomit in front of Kevin Dundon. Like I. I like because I'm I'm pretty sure it's never happened to him considering he's a you know world renowned chef. But puking prawns all over Kevin Dundon's feet is not is not something I would have been too proud of. That could have been a lesson for him. You know that sometimes you can't force the magic. Well, like I said, I actually like prawns. Your prawns were just shit, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, as kind of one of the leading voices in mindfulness in Ireland, and somebody who has brought mindfulness to the masses, you mentioned earlier that um the kind of connection between mindfulness and food and eating um, and kind of that consciousness and appreciation of what, what you're putting in your body. Is that something that you, you've kind of do, explored a little bit more in the last few years or? You know, one of the easiest ways to get people who struggle with the the principles of mindfulness and the practice of it mindfulness is to get them to do things that they do anyway mindfully, like eating. Um, and eating is, or even drinking a glass of wine. Like, so for example, I have a mate who he wanted to cut down his alcohol consumption. And he goes, oh, just, I drink so much wine at night. And I was like, cool, I'll tell you what, how about we find out where that wine came from? Find out a little bit about the farmer, find out why the farmer does it, the passion and all that kind of stuff and how it got to your glass. And how about you drink that glass, that glass mindfully and you don't just put it down your eyeball like you've been doing every night. And he found that amazingly engaging. And it's the same with food. So I, I've done, um, so for pasanas or your silent retreats, you know, five to 10 day silent retreats, which are pretty difficult uh, testing for any any mind, but you're in complete silence for uh, quite a large period of time. And one of the main things you do within Vipassana is mindful eating and you practice it. And it's actually part of your practice. And what it is also, it is also vegan. In Vipassana, you will eat vegan because Buddhists do no harm. And you actually really, really to, to actually to take some hours out of your day, you would spend 50, 60 minutes eating a meal because you're trying to burn time because you're sitting there doing nothing apart from practicing. And the first one I did, it, it completely changed how I ate food, because when you come from a family of five, you're getting that into your stomach as quick as you can before someone else does. And we, you're like a savage eating it. And you, you, you train like that as a child. And then as you become into a rugby player, because you're trying to eat so much food, you're eating it so fast all the time. And that's also from a health point of view, your di- digestion point of view is, isn't great for you either. And mindful eating became probably the, the most important part of my practice because it was the one I could, I could engage with the most because I love eating. And it got me into the kind of more practical elements of of kind of insight meditation and mindfulness and has a really really strange kind of reputation it's either completely commodified and i refer to that as mac mindfulness 
are it's it's you know it's completely oversold as something that's going to change every facet of your being and they're both kind of bullshit really mindfulness is quite simple and mindfulness is the opposite of what our modern world is our modern world is moving so fast that none of us don't e- none of us even know what's fucking stressing us out because we cannot even see in front of our own face because we're, we're we're moving so fast we're on automatic pilot all the time mindfulness is going we need to stop that and we also need to stop people going oh it slows me down it won't make me ambitious horseshit lads you know, honestly, if you keep telling yourself that, you're you're going to be that seventy five year old who just goes, "Where the fuck did my life go?" Mm. That's a, it's just kind of a wild thought, isn't it? Like, just really, just kind of that people are living their lives in a kind of a very passive way, and suddenly, like, you know, somebody could listen to this podcast and just go, "Okay, I'm actually going to start paying a little bit more attention." It's that simple. And if you think about it, uh, so people often ask me, "What's?" What's the definition of mindfulness? And to be clear, like most of the work I would do would be people who who would actually have mental health issues, not somebody who just wants to get relaxed and chill out. People who might be struggling with, you know, quite serious panic disorders. And so you have to be very careful with this. It's a psychological intervention, no, no matter what way you look at it. And people always ask me what the definition is. And the actual definition is really boring and it doesn't mean a lot. And it, it pisses me off. So I could imagine anyone who wouldn't have any interest in it. It is paying attention to the present moment non-judgmentally. Now, that means nothing as a line without context. And I, I, I tend to say to people what mindfulness is to me is set, st- stand into an ice cold shower. And the minute that water hits your back, tell me, are you, speak, are you thinking of yesterday or what you have to do tomorrow? That's mindfulness. It's just present. It's just being present. And now we have a world where we're not even making decisions for ourselves anymore. Algorithms do. We have so disconnected from our own body and our own experience that we are being, honestly, it is, it's George Orwell shit. We are being, we are being, we don't even know it because it's so subtle. The, 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 the CEO of Netflix said that their biggest competitor in the marketplace, I was like, oh, it's Amazon Prime or Facebook. They went, no, it's sleep. We've commodified sleep. You know, it's uh, sleep is in the marketplace and your attention, there's a war for it. There's an absolute war for it. And you're up against seriously powerful forces. So you need to decide, do you want to fucking own your attention so you can put it on the people you love, on the things that matter to you? Or you just want to keep outsourcing it to this bullshit that doesn't matter? And that is the mod- why it's mindfulness is so important in the modern world. Oh, my God. Imagine literally having the audacity to look at every other streaming service in the world and go, no, the enemy here is sleep. Like, that, like but, that, that takes some seriously Netflix-sized cojones. Yeah, but and the fact is most of the, um, the, the tech CEO's kids are not on social media. Like, this is, you know, I always, I always akin it to, uh, when I look at Twitter, for example, I akin it to that we are, so the Twitter user is like the uh, gladiator in a coliseum ripping the shit out of each other, beating the shite out of each other, while the Roman lords or whatever you call them, emperors, are sitting up watching it. And they're the, they're the owners of these companies going, oh my God, the more they kill each other, the more social engagement we get, the more our ad revenue drives, the more data we have. Keep killing each other, lads. It's fucking brilliant for business. Well, you know, it's kind of like Twitter especially is, and I think we've seen in the last four years, there's been some interesting developments in Twitter, and especially leading up to the last couple of weeks. It is that whole thing that it is just insane in terms of like controversy breeds conversation. If everyone was just kind of polite and, you know, getting on with each other all the time, 
people wouldn't be going mad. People wouldn't be tearing each other's heads off through anonymous accounts. Absolutely. Um, but, but also Twitter is so funny. Oh, that's the funniest shit I've ever seen has been on Twitter. And all you need to do is actually provide some boundaries to yourself because the Twitter algorithm is always going to show you the bad stuff because that's what gets engagement because the human brain has a negativity bias. We actually put more emphasis on negative things. It gets our attention. So the algorithms are all designed around that. If you look at the Twitter algorithms on any given day, usually in the top five, you'll see the word shocking, awful, you know, you know, really kind of incendiary words because we can't help ourselves. Like, fucking, what shocking? I got to hop in there to see what he's talking about. Who's getting cancelled now? And I, I always say Twitter's just a, a, a career cemetery for most people. It's where yeah. most people go to get their, their careers ruined. And the other thing about Twitter and all social media platforms is there's no context there. We're on a podcast cast now and we can provide context to our arguments and our conversations. Context, Twitter is where context goes to die. There's Literally nothing. Die. It's just literally None. no judge, no jury, just a, just an executioner. Yeah. Just ready it. to yeah, just ready to go. Just completely just yeah, like someone will pull up yeah, an old tweet or an old conversation and just go for it. And you know, they, as you said, it's that removal of context and that removal of the juxtaposition of a situation. And it's the voyeur, voyeurism of it all. You know, I, I I went back to nineteen or whatever, whenever feckin' Twitter started, and now I found out something you said that condescends what you are saying now. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, a human people, being. People I'm fallible. And people I'm grow. a fucking idiot. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. So moving moving away from Twitter and <laughs> the shocking what we're talking about there, but uh, so we're talking about the podcast and then what's being on a podcast now. So for Niall, for people that actually like you know don't don't know about what you're doing now with the podcasting world at the moment, and you're saying you're so busy at the moment, can you just fill people in a little bit about where is my mind and wake up and down and what it is and how it's helping people at the moment? Yeah, um, where's my mind is actually a podcast about more about culture. So my background, my kind of academic background was in sociology. I did a master's in sociology and I've always been interested in culture and how culture influences how we feel. And I've always been particularly interested in Irish culture because we've got such an incredibly layered and dark history that needs to be addressed and is probably a contributor to pretty much most of the issues that we see in our country is our generational past and the shame that we've carried with it because it's not our shame to carry. But this is the reality and people all felt that it was going to be like a pop psychology podcast or a mindfulness podcast. It is those things, but it's also culture. We need to stop giving culture a get out of jail free card because it's providing an untold levels of damage to the psyches and the, the emotional well-being of people. And I always use an example of Love Island, for example. No problem with the show. We've always had entertainment television. It's grand. You know, the premise of the show is, you know, really you know, ripped, good looking men and women shift the faces off each other or whatever else they do. And ITV three years ago were like, yeah, let's show this biggest show where the vast majority of the viewership are between the age of 16 and 21 who are very influenced teenage girls and teenage guys and and what 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 ads are we going to show them? Cosmetic surgery ads. Yeah, I remember Next hearing about them. Crazy. This is wrong. And it's just wrong. And, it's, and they shouldn't be allowed to get away with that. Now we've influencers over in Dubai. And that's fine, you know, each to their own. But surely they shouldn't be influencing our society and culture. Surely Mary down in Centra and Mullingar, who served me a paper every day for 42 weeks, who has gone to work every day in the pandemic, 
that's who I value. That's who I want to be influenced by. I want to be influenced by, yeah, Mary and the, you know, and Mary, 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 maybe Mary can be an influencer, but it's, it's, I think the influencer industry is fine, but I think it's given far too much power and it has very little responsibility. So, for example, when you look at the vast array of brands that went, you guys go to Dubai, when the vast majority of cases we were seeing were in younger people who were probably looking at this going, well, fuck it, they're in Dubai partying and holiday. And why, why do I have to say in the gaff? That's not influence. That's just irresponsible. And that's just outrageous levels of self-entitlement. And, you know, we, we need to call it for what it is and stop dancing around it. And brands need to cop on and stop you know, giving outrageous levels of income to people who are doing things like that. This is a fucking pandemic where, you know, many, many people are dying and we haven't had a, you know, industries are going out of work. Like my, as I said, my mates are, are losing their jobs and losing their businesses. And we need to learn to read the room a little bit here. Yeah, no, it seems to be ignorance is the is the answer to what these people are kind of saying when they're out in Dubai and everything else. So it's kind of, you know, the, the, it, people do look at them and then they say, well, can, can I go to Dubai? And yeah, you know, you're 100% right. I agree with you on all that. It's a, it's an interesting one that I can you know, look into. But uh, so talk about them, say, wake up, wind down and tell us a little bit about that. It's I, I, Me personally, I love it. It's something I do. It's something I, uh, I listen to every, nearly, every night. Well, I mean, I think that the, with the Where's My Mind podcast, what I wanted to do more than anything apart from uh, talk about culture, was also to talk about what can you do? How can we be- take better care of our minds? How can I give you the actual layered uh, and rationale behind mindfulness and teach you how to learn the principles of practice? Because it takes time and it takes work. And what I love about Where Is My Mind is that I can provide all that conversation and context and help be- people build that skill because it is a skill. Whereas Wake Up, Wind Down it's much more kind of, it's, it's, it's shorter. It's the morning wake up is three minutes long, generally three or four minutes long. And the evening is eight to 10 minutes. And the morning is quite reflective. So what I'm trying to get people to do is reflect on their values, reflect on what they stand for, reflect on their relationships. And it, it, it's it's quite important. What you're trying to get people to frame their day in a bit more of a, not a positive way, but a bit more of a way that makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. And then the evening, um, especially throughout the lockdown, a lot of people started struggling with many different things that they'd probably never struggled with before, like sleep and anxiety and overwhelm. And what I wanted to do with the wind downs is help people just wind down to switch that off, to get out of that fight or flight kind of hyper aroused mode and just settle into themselves. And over the whatever it is, 10 months now of it, you know, it really has worked and it's all over the world and it's gone, you know, it's in most territories in the world now. And I just thought nobody wanted to listen to a big bogger from Mullingar in his mum's spare room making podcasts because that's where I am. Did to be fair, boggers from Mullingar have done well. Like as a as a county and as a place, it really does punch above its weight. Yeah, like, we've chip, chips in our shoulder, Marcus. That's, 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 how, that's, that's how that happened. Well, yeah, I mean, like between between yourself, between Nile Horn, between Joe Dolan, all started with Joe. Let's kind of let's be real. I used to caddy for Joe. Did you actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a gentleman. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Um, But yeah, it's really it's somewhere that uh, that consistently punches above its above its fairly small weight um, in terms of a global stage. Um, Now, and also kind of bringing it back, uh, bringing it back slightly to food okay we've talked about twitter we've talked about life we've talked about mindfulness we've talked about the podcasts um 
when things kind of reopen, is there anywhere it can be local or it can be in Dublin or anywhere in the world that you're really excited to actually get back into and maybe eat again? And eat. Uh, well, do you know? Do you know what? Actually, do you know a restaurant I really sound, sound like I don't live there, but I went there. Uh, Bresson in Monkstown. Okay. I went to Bresson in Monkstown just before the lockdown started, and I just like. For me, it's a, there's a few things about restaurant. First thing for me is is I hate the word ambience. It's 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 you know what I'm saying. You need to feel at ease in the place, and you need good kind of people there to keep you like at ease in whatever you're doing. And I went out with my sister and her fella Podge, um, and it was just it was just that type of food where we barely talked for the whole thing. Oh, I love those meals where everyone yeah, just kind just, of shuts up a little bit and yeah. And you're just done. You don't have yeah. to talk. The chat shut doesn't... Your, yeah. Shut your fa- yeah, shut your face. I mean, like, this is outrageous. And I mean, I do think, like, from a, a restaurant point of view, that I, I I really feel for restaurants. A, friend, a lot of my mates run some. It's, it's, you know, it's nearly been more frustrating for them because, like, at least our industry was like, you're, you ain't open and that's, it's game over for whenever until we get this shit sorted. Whereas restaurants had to stop start. And I think that was, ended up probably costing them more in the long run because you know what it's like to open and close and to lose stock and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So I think what will happen is what I would love to see in Dublin and across Ireland is 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 building a far bigger cafe culture. It's a real opportunity to do it now because what I don't want us to do is to go back to that just pisshead Ireland thing where we just get mangled and like I'm not a big drinker, so I struggle to go out. Like I, I, I can't go into Dublin city centre twelve o'clock on Saturday night. It's mayhem. Uh, I'd love a space just to go and just sit there and have chats and maybe have a glass of wine or coffee. And I, I really think this is a good opportunity to do to do that. Yes. Is to build a cafe culture in Dublin. We have brilliant, brilliant food in in Ireland and Dublin, and some brilliant restaurants, and even the cafes have some amazing food. And I think we need to play off it a little bit and. It's, Look at a way of changing our culture slightly towards people who don't want to get shit faced. And there's, there's been a, a lot of talk about the kind of the idea of the the, the cafe bar deli. I know there was a place called the cafe bar deli, but you know somewhere that is essentially a multi use space that changes during the day. So in the morning you might go in there and have a coffee and a pastry. Um, then in the afternoon you'd have your people you know having working lunches. After that it can turn into a space where people can sit and maybe do some work, work remotely, have a coffee again start into the evening, have a glass of wine, then you can have dinner there. And then it goes on into the evening as a social hub. And that's something that really doesn't exist here in the same way that it would exist. In, like first place that jumps into my mind is Paris, mm. you know, that where people will actually just sit on a terrace of a bistro and take their little pause for a coffee in the morning or take their, take their little bit of extended time to actually sit and enjoy. And it, like you could go to the same bistro at 9 a.m. And it'll be on the same bistro, you know, 11 or 12 p.m. Yeah, uh, I think the funny thing is after all this is over, I think any of us will take anything. <laughs> we'll just like, I don't care. You know, I'll sit with a cold coffee on in the middle of anywhere because we're, we're just we're really, really craving some social interaction and interaction and connection with people. And I just would love to see Dublin look at a place and Ireland and Cork. I know Cork we're doing it especially and even, the, you know, Clarny and Mullingar and places like that. Start pedestrianizing areas, start building that cafe culture, because also what Ireland is 
and it, it really has happened quite quickly and quite amazingly is we're very multi we're becoming very multicultural it's a real opportunity to 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 look at these cafe cultures but your issue then as well is rental prices in dublin are just extortionate are insane they're they're you they, they paralyze and, and what happens is generally only people who already have capital or have access to capital or somebody's funding it for them can do these types of things and that's bollocks because some of the most passionate people i know about food and understanding it can't afford to pay rent in dublin and that that is something we got to look at we got to create incentives for, for this type of industry well you know it's also what's happening there is that the food scene in ireland's being decentralized like everything used to be all eyes on dublin and then you know in the last couple of years you've seen three michelin stars emerge in cork you've seen this amazing food scene emerge in galway uh, waterford is having this renaissance of ingredients the whole west of ireland west cork is just pumping out all these incredible chefs and a lot of people are actually heading over that way because they don't have to pay ridiculous rents, ridiculous key monies. And there's a, there's a whole kind of range of opportunity out there, which is really, really exciting from a, from I suppose, from a global food perspective. Like that's and what absolutely. I'm, that's what I'm supposed to see. It's to incentivize that from a business perspective. So you look at what's happened now. We're, we're, we're Ireland, Ireland going into this had a bigger cushion to land on from a GDP perspective. We, we you know, our growth rates were pretty high this has been devastating to the economy, but it's going to recover bloody quickly. It's not the same thing as a credit crisis. It's not a banking crisis. It's a, you know, generally it's probably an unemployment issue. Whereas also there's huge levels of savings now going up in Ireland. So for an e- economic point of view, the, even people who've lost their jobs, this will come, if, if, we're, if, if we're protected and, and helped, this will come around. And it's a, it, this is the, we will not get another opportunity like this to, to look at something like an incentivization to create a better culture for people who, who do want to socialize and engage and want to just eat and maybe have a coffee. And people go, well, go to the pub and have a coffee. Have you been in a pub at 12 o'clock in Temple Bar on a Saturday night? It's horrible. It's not the like, kind of place you want to be sipping no, flat white. No. Not me, not me anyway. And I, 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 and it's not about not having that because that's the thing we do in Ireland as well. Like, oh, he's trying to close the pubs. Nobody's trying to close the pubs, dude. Pubs are essential. They're brilliant. I love them. But there should be options here. And you go to Paris or you go to you know, even like somewhere like um, more central Europe into Budapest and places like that. Cafe culture is essential, but they what they have slightly different to Ireland. They have a very thriving kind of club culture that starts at like 12, 1 o'clock and doesn't finish till 7 or 8 o'clock at night or in the morning. And I know our club culture is, is was kind of denounced and we start selling off clubs and Club culture for me is quite an important subculture in any in any society. is so important, enormously and, so, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think to be perfectly honest, I think to be perfectly honest, our our, our last couple of governments, and this isn't a political thing. Like, I mean, I I honest God don't have any real political lining leanings, but we just haven't valued culture the way we should be valuing culture yet we'll use it at every available opportunity you're going to see it now today with joe biden culture is going to be oh my god poem ireland's amazing but really you can't do that with it we we got to really invest and what's like uh, the minister for culture has about 50 other fucking things they have to do as well just give us a minister of culture just what literally that's their only job to to preserve to develop to sustain to look at ways of building these things to support incentivize people who want to start food companies all over the country will they fail some of them will will some of them succeed of course they will and i do think uh, after all this is over 
that personally, from my perspective, I I don't I need I I would love I'd love to I'd love to have the money to set up something really really nice in Dublin or around country or in Mullingar from a cafe culture. But if I had three people drinking coffee on a Saturday night in there, I'm fucked. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. You're not exactly yeah. It's not it's not making the books. But you know, there's talk about um implementing a a night czar or a nightmare as they're calling it as they're in London whose sole job is preserving the nighttime economy of a city. And, you know, you'd have individual nightmares, Dublin, Cork, Galway, who hopefully would interact with uh, with every bit of local authority. And, you know, like even like in London, there's late night restaurants. There's places where you can go and eat at 3 a.m. and eat really well. In Paris, there's places you can go and eat at 6 a.m. Like, uh, and effectively have fine dining. You know, it's like, I think in a big metropolitan city, there is that. I think I think what 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 Ireland is very good at is planning and policy. You know, let, let's try this, and it just doesn't seem to ever happen. And I look honestly, I look once again with some of the handling of some of the situations throughout the pandemic. I actually think our arts minister, in 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 light of all the issues, was pretty at least really engaged. At least you know, but it's not down to her. She you know the boss is Pascal Donu, who signs the check. Who signs the checks? Who actually allocates the the budgets to these places? And I just really do believe throughout this whole pandemic, we're starting to see, as I said, w- when you look at the greyhound industry getting more funding, it, it, you, you kind of think to yourself, who who's who's the who's the bosses here? Who are, who's running this country? Because it ain't the people that we're paying our taxes to for their wages, because their decisions are being made on many other different agendas. And, and 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 where leadership is really working in places like New Zealand, uh, the reason it's working is because capitalism can work. Conscious capitalism can work. We, we can find a middle ground. Just because you care about people and you want you want you know you 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 want equality to exist within a society. Of course. Yeah, it doesn't. You don't. That doesn't need to be a political thing. That's just fuck. I kind of like people. I don't like people having shit lives. Is that that? Do you have to label me as some form of political left, right, <laughs> yeah. whatever? Why are you trying why? to close their pubs, though, Brezzy? Like that's the that's the real yeah, question. Well, like, why are you trying to take away the crack? <laughs> think, think about the kids, Marcus. You got to oh, think about oh, the kids. Somebody think of the children. As you might have noticed, we are recording remotely, so we don't have the great folks at Head Stuff and the podcast shooters guiding us through today. So please bear with us as we are trying to figure this out. But uh, this is a Head Stuff podcast, though. And we've just launched Headstuff Plus. So sign up to the Headstuff Plus community. Not only helps your favorite Irish creators do more of what they do best, but also gets you a heap of bonus content from every show on the network, regardless of which one of them you support. There are exclusive bonus episodes, live shows, blooper reels, extra interviews, behind-the-scenes videos, articles, reviews, photos, early access to events, merchandise, and so much more. So check out Headstuff Plus. And one of the shows on Headstuff is Sissy That Pod, the unofficial RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. So James and Keen recap each episode with lots of laughter involved. So if you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, this is a no-brainer. Check out Sissy That Pod. Come on, Sissy That Pod. Let's get thickening. Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, Sissy That Pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right. Whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All-Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. 
Come here. So one, this is slightly going off topic again. One, one question that we always ask on, um, on the podcast is we call it the devil's dessert. Um, and basically the idea is like, you know, after everything is said and done, if, uh, if the Grim Reaper were to swoop down on a big old horse and land in a field in Mullingar and go, you, not Breslin, um, it's your time. But you have time for one more meal, one last, one last plate of something good. What do you think you'd go for? What would be your, your devil's dessert? Your like dev- uh, is that devil's dessert my entire meal? Is it my three-course meal? It, or is it's, it your just- th- it's your three-course. Oh, uh, Okay. I'm going to start with dessert and it's a really simple one and you're going to laugh at me but I adore a really really good almond bakewell do you know what like uh, I think we need to normalize liking just simple things no they're but a good one not one of those dry ones where you have to kind of rub your teeth every three seconds yeah you know they're like slightly quite a moist one with not not overly thick cream mm. um, and another dessert I did do, when the YouTube bullet came out once I put an entire selection box into it and I, I blitzed it and I made a cake out of literally everything in it and I just felt that by putting it in the YouTube bullet I made it healthier but I don't think it works that way um, but for the dinner for dinner like you one sec Brez just did you say you put an entire selection box into a YouTube bullet Marcus don't don't don't, dare, don't you fucking dare judge me you've done that <laughs> I'm not judging you. This just there was a tone in your voice. I can't see your no, face. Okay, no, listen. I'd like it's it's more the the casual nature in which you said it. Um, I think <laughs> like I've never heard of anyone putting an entire selection box in a nutri bullet. Like, what did you do with it afterwards? Did you spread it like a paste? No. So I, I just so you know, uh, double deckers will no matter how long you leave them in a nutri bullet, they just won't. They don't turn into anything. Only just smaller double deckers <laughs> um, but I put all of them into so it's about eight bars or eight or nine bars you put them in you blitz them I got um, butter and a kind of biscuit base and I made the base and I poured that over it and then I got some condensed milk with cocoa powder and I put that on top and then I crumpled more biscuits on top of it so that was what I made and it was completely completely pulled out of my arse there wasn't there wasn't kind of like I didn't hear about her, so I just thought, listen, this could be nice. And, you know, I, I'm guessing each, literally each slice was about 800 calories. Well, was like, it nice? No, it was uh, horrific. It was just because there was, um, there was a, uh, there was one of those minty ones in there. I don't, I think it was like not an after eight, but um, it, was a, uh, it, it was a, yeah, it, it was a mint something and it just it flavored everything, the arse way. So it was, it was just not good. But, Back to the bake. Well, that that I, I'll keep it simple. And for the main dinner, as boring as it is, um, I am from the Midlands. Beef to the you know beef, beef to, to the, the hill like, like a heifer. heifer. I I cannot I cannot overemphasize how much I love ribeye steak. Um, and ribeye is without doubt my favorite cut. And the thing about like at this sense of but like it's not even a cheat meal. There's no such thing as a cheat meal. What the fuck you want? You know, like cheat meal. Oh, I'm cheating. Who are you cheating on? Like who are you cheating on? Like, like stop with this language that makes our, our life so restrictive. Eat what you you know. Don't eat it every day, but like big old ribeye, sloppy, you know, homemade chips. I mean, big thick cut chips that mm. are absolutely bet into the the deep fat fryer twice, um, and. Uh, 
like my favorite Bernays sauce, I like proper Bernays sauce. I think an awful lot of it is quite tasteless. You have to make, you know, I love making it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that sounds really boring, but I just, uh, I still haven't replaced uh, an absolute dirty steak. But I will say that only that is only if my starter is allowed to be some form of risotto. Um, a starting risotto. A starting risotto. An, a, a, an introductory risotto. An introduction, not a massive, because, you know, risotto can really, can leave you feeling pretty lethargic. So you only yeah. need a little dollop of, like, you know, a cup of it. And it would be a chorizo-based, like any, the, the, a chorizo on it. Perfectly tainted. Every Perfectly little grain tainted. Of just risotto. tainted away. Yeah. The texture. And, yeah, like, that is, yeah, I'm a simple person. I don't. Pretend, you know, that's about as good as it gets. And in between courses. Oh, okay. We've got an in between. God, this is in be- going for be- it. In between courses, I would have. I would have. Oh, fuck. Am I allowed to have it now? You know, I don't yeah. know, actually. Listen, you're going to have whatever you like. It's your last meal. I, I probably have diabetes, I'd say, in between courses. It's probably. <laughs> it's probably by the look of things. No, but in between courses, I do love. I absolutely love sorbets. I find them really hard to make, though. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why they're so hard. Like they look so simple. I, I've tried and they always taste crap. You know, I'm see, I'm, I'm seeing a side to you, like a, literally a Heston Blumenthal esque mad food <laughs> scientist side no, to I, you, like right. a, ma- a man who will nutribullet a full selection box and try and freeze bottles of cider to make some kind of alcoholic granita. Yeah, <laughs> well, I I I never said I was a chef, Marcus. I just said I liked food. Well, do you know what? It's like this is how it happens. This is progress. This is, mm. you, you You don't get to new new shores without pushing the boat out, you know? But yeah, I do think, I do, as I said at the start of all this, my relationship with food is a very positive one. I think we live in one of the best countries in the world for food, for good, good food, good source food, yeah. healthy food, organic food. And for having been in America for a period of time, we're blessed here because the shit they throw at them over there. I remember... I was over there just before lockdown and I was staying in this quite nice hotel and I came downstairs and I was like, oh, it's breakfast included. I, and they were like, oh, yes, yeah, included. And I, I remember just walking into the lobby and there was a, a table full of 40 different cereals, which were more colorful than like a Care Bear fart. It was just <laughs> color everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. It was all those terrible, terrible, awfully, awfully bad for you cereals. Just Fruity pure sugar. Numbers. Just like, sugar. Like, and I went, just, just, do not get eggs or like anything, eggs or bread. And they're like, no, there's your breakfast. I'm like, you're killing people with this shit. Like, like Americans love it. It's like made with actual wheat and then it's just a bowl of marshmallows. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's, it, it, it is, it's, to me, I, I actually think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty grim because like the, you know, the, the level of, crap they put in their food and that's where big food becomes a big problem and big food is a big problem because it does many different things it makes the food worse it also fucks up the people trying to sell the food you know people it destroys the environment you know and that, and that's that's the thing and i think in ireland i think we're in a position where we never really have to rely on it uh you know and i know it's difficult for people who are selling food and i think all the main sellers of food have a duty of care to the people in ireland and the producers in ireland not not to do them out of it because we we both know that's been happening so yeah big food is a powerful powerful lobby and 
I think hopefully in Ireland we, we can protect, we should be protecting our producers of food a bit more. I'm not sure if we are doing enough, but I'd like to think we're trying. So as we said before, this podcast is sponsored by Hophouse 13. And we like to ask every guest what's hopping. We want to celebrate some of the most vibrant and local food experiences Ireland has to offer. So tell us something about your, you're excited about at the moment. Maybe an amazing take-home meal you've had from your favorite restaurant, a new launch you've seen, or a project you've been working on. And as always, remember to drink responsibly. So Niall, what's hopping for you at the moment? Um, I've been at home, as I said, 42 weeks in Mullingar. So... I've been lucky. There's a, a restaurant that's only opened quite recently. Well, it's been opening not not too recently, but pretty recently called Wholesome Kitchen in Mullingar. And it's kind of been feeding me for the entire, like, I don't leave this podcast room from nine in the morning till six o'clock in the evening. So having them proper food, healthy food, tasty food. Um, and it's not a plug. It's just, it's just, it's really nice to have that on my, my, my doorstep. And also coming home has really reconnected me to the community where I'm from and there's just some amazing things happening in the town there's a dailies in Mullingar they have this incredible kind of shortish shortage kind of vibe out the back they've built these incredible kind of it is very uh, cool I've been, it's like, amazing it's like, yeah. and the burgers there are just they're called caribou burgers and it's just proper you know it's proper it's proper good food and it's it's just something that I, I've been these types of things because when you're in the middle of a fucking lockdown guys it's genuinely these little these little luxuries that you get that kind of keep you going and yeah so dailies has just been a, a, a blessing to have in the town and then once again where I'm from my there's a coffee roaster just around the corner Bell Lane Coffee where I can literally go in and watch them roast my coffee and get the stories of where that coffee came from and see the whole process. So that to me is just, you know, as I said, two years ago, I'd be like, I don't want to go see my coffee being roasted. I don't have time for that shit. And it's those little things. Mullingar is hopping. It is hopping. And it's one of those things that keeps me going. Just those little luxuries that you get, whatever, every couple of days or a burger from dailies on a Saturday night with, a, you know, a few, whatever, whatever your tipple is. It's it, it, it. That's all we got right now. And it's enough. And that's beautiful. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, so I think we're, that's that's what's pretty much wrapped up. And uh, we just want to thank you all for coming on. That's uh, you're, you're, what you're doing at the moment is amazing. We're big fans of uh, big fans of the podcasts, and uh, we wish you all the success going forward. Thanks a million, guys. Also, Take care. Just yourself. really impressed at still still at this uh, this selection box thing. If anyone is listening and does blend the selection box, can you please tag the That's Bagging Podcast Instagram and and Brezzy's as well? Would be do not put a double decker in there. Because it no. destroys the blades as well. And my mother's still pissed off about that. And you don't want to piss off your mother. I think that's the conclusion of today's podcast. No, no, absolutely. Don't cross Mandy Breslin. Cheers, lad. Um, we hope we've brightened up your day a little bit. And thank you, as always, to our wonderful sponsors, Hophouse 13. They're what's hopping. And we're that's banging. As always, please drink responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.